if you are not careful and you let yourself be captured by the news and all the noise, it can confuse you into believing that there is more wrong in our society than right with it, that there are more selfish people than selfless people. It is easy to fall into this trap because that's how traps work. They are designed to bring you in and keep you there. The antidote to this comes when you realize that the world isn't full of traps. It's full of goodness, a goodness that far outweighs the bad. Every day there are more people that you know, that you meet, that you pass by, who focus their efforts and energy into helping others, in service to others, to making their country, their community better. Just as the saying goes, iron sharpens iron. We draw in strength from service, and our service spreads strength to others. The people who spread that strength often blend in with the noise of the world. They are the teachers, the doctors, the nurses, the veterans, the police officers, and so many others. We refuse to listen to the noise, and we want to spread our common goodness by telling the stories of service of everyday people from our citizen servants. This is the Strength From Service Podcast. Welcome to Strength From Service. We're so glad you chose to join us once again. We appreciate uh, all the feedback and all the listeners. My name is Jake Palmer, the quiet guy in the corner, joined as always by uh, Jack Zimmerman. And Mike McLaughlin. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Or afternoon or whatever time it is nowadays. I don't know. I've lost track. So uh, who's going to introduce our esteemed guest? Uh, I I can take those. Go ahead, ahead, Mike. Uh, So today our guest uh, is Trent Nielsen. Uh, For those of you who listen who aren't familiar with that name from the area, it's tied to Nielsen Blacktopping, which is a pretty known small business. Not so small, I guess, anymore, which is is kind of a, a theme that we've been running here uh, on the show, uh, he's a St. Peter area uh, native, uh, participated in wrestling in uh, high school. Learned actually that he coached wrestling for a while afterwards too, after he graduated, which is another theme of kind of that service uh, to the community here too as well. Uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps uh, Reserves, uh, served uh, his enlistment, came back home and then picked up uh, the small business, which again, as I alluded to, is not really that small anymore. 60 so employees, union operation, uh, really, really big and growing, which is, is pretty cool to see uh, a fellow Marine uh, kick it, uh, kick it out of the park. Uh, but then also, if you, if you ever sit down and, and talk with Trent, I mean, like part of the the thing that really sticks out with me, themes with Ted that we had on here with Logan and a lot of those other guys is not the money side of it, but what they're doing uh, and what it allows their employees, the quality of life they have uh, to build their their dreams and to support their families. And that's, that's really, you know, part of the, the theme that we really pick on when we see small business owners, uh, not just here, uh, Ted up in the cities too, is, is that theme of people that aren't just in it for themselves, but they see that bigger picture and they're, and they're looking to grow, uh, other people's uh, dreams and allow them to, to prosper and, and thrive too, as well. Uh, and we'll probably get into a little bit too. Uh, we've had some other, uh, guests on here that have been in recovery. Trent, you just hit three years of yep. sober. Three Honest, years. man. I guess. Um, and so we'll, we'll get into that too. But um, without further ado, welcome, man. Welcome. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Excited to have you. We need a studio audience or something. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we all know you got the clap. So <laughs> there is. Well, there's that. There is that. Uh, Trent, welcome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, it's, uh, guys. It's, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Guys. It's uh, St. Peter. 
St. Peter. That's, yep. where, that's your original stomping grounds. That's where you grew up. That's the original you, place. Yep. And uh, still live there today. Yes, I do. And uh, you've been there. You've been there ever since. Uh, no, I lived in Jordan for eleven oh, years. Oh, you did get out there for a minute. That's well. When we got done with college, Sarah got a job up in Bloomington. That's your wife. Yep, Sarah's yeah. my wife. We have three kids: Sophie, Oscar, and Boone. Well, and, it's, uh, maybe we should start out with when you were younger. You see Russell when you were younger. Yep. So I grew up in a neighborhood full of young fellas, and we all wrestled from that neighborhood. And and one of my folks got divorced. We moved to Summit Park. So you got to be tough when you live in Summit Park. <laughs> yeah. How old were you when your parents got divorced? Like seven. Seven. Oh. So that's part of the. Uh, so my brother, Chad, who was a partner, is my stepbrother. Okay. So we're kind of the the Nielsen boys, but he's actually not a Nielsen. Everyone sure. refers to us as that, but well, at least it wasn't Marway. <laughs> no, well, we we actually lived in Marway for a stint too. Okay. So, but that's yeah. it's part of growing up in St. Peter. You got to grow up in the tough spots. It's not just all the liberal college. There's some rough right. rough spots sure. in St. Peter too. So, do you do you split time between uh, mom and dad, or do you yep. somebody? Yeah, we in? did the regular Thursday stuff, and you know, just like most split families. But the beauty is, they all stay together you know so we grew up together and now we all work together were you so, a good student no <laughs> i had a school i time. did find that when i wanted to be a good student i was yeah which, same way. which was another trick of being a good business person you know when you apply yourself you, yeah i went from not being able to play on the basketball team one quarter to being on the beyond roll the next quarter because uh, my dad told me hey if uh you don't make the beyond roll going forward you're paying for your own car insurance and i had no money so yeah we never had that threat we just knew we had to stay above certain levels and we were going to get our license because we had to work so that was going to be part of it if we didn't want to participate in school the right way we would uh have to work more too (laughs) yeah that's one thing that blows my mind today is you know you see a lot of kids that don't want to get their license right at 16 i mean that was like yeah i don't don't understand you were like begging your your parents like the day i turn 16 i better be in the dmv there doing my license test you're planning stuff out years ahead of time oh Oh, yeah. Okay, what day do they test on? You're 14. Don't worry about it. Yeah, right. we basically grew up like farm kids. As yeah, soon as yeah. we could drive, we were driving and working. And our family also ran a pizza restaurant in town, too. No kidding. So, yeah. Well, so let's let's stick with mom and dad. What what dad do for work? Dad was basically a black topper as well. He kind of So actually, my grandpa started Nielsen black topping. Okay. Wasn't really incorporated or anything until we started, but it was basically like my grandpa and his crew you know basically i think there were some other buddies and cousins that uh they worked for like a gas company hauling sure. gas and then uh, they did this stuff on the weekends and then it kind of turned into something and it's kind of how a lot of that stuff starts yeah. so and so they were definitely doing it on the side and we, in fact we still own like the first tractor they built oh, that's to, pretty cool yeah, and they turned it into a roller so yeah you can't get rid of stuff like that so we're gonna put that up at our sign that we have out on 22 here eventually it's just one of those things that i want to get to Get to and get done. Yeah, it takes time, yeah. So they, and then my dad took it the next generation, and they grew to, uh, I don't know, a decent, you know, there was probably seven of us. They were working five, six days a week then at that point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there were not no more weekend stuff. Well, we did all kinds of stuff. So my dad did karaoke. Sure. And, you know, we had the restaurants. We were always working. There was no. Always something to do. There was always something to do. There wasn't weekend. I mean, weekends we were working down there and. You know, going to Seal Coden on Saturdays and Sundays. So we were 
that's how we grew up. Sure. Basically working, working. Yeah. And uh, like we talk about high school stuff a lot, and I'm not involved in a lot of those stories because we were. I was serving those guys food when they were out partying. And sure. Shit, so. <laughs> I don't have a lot of high school party stories. Did it sometimes going to wrestling practice feel like a break? Well, a little bit. Yeah. Honestly, you know, we would have to, there's certain nights where, you know, you'd get out of stuff because you had practice or you had a meet. Right. Uh, Thursdays were always meet, so I'd get out of work because. Get to go, to wrestle. go wrestle. Yeah. So That's good, though. I mean, you got to do that but stuff. It, it so definitely built the culture of who we are is how, you know, our parents, you know, when you look, think back, you, you kind of get ornery with them a little bit, but. At this age, you, I mean, it built us. It built a few animals. Right, so no, absolutely. Group, you know, my brothers, we all think alike as far as, you know, when we have a job, we do it. And that's uh, it's a big part of how we grew up. So, so when you so when you graduated then, did you go uh, join the military right away? Did you have ambitions to do that? Why, you know? Or, or so the story, my, how it goes is I knew I was going to be a black topper, right? Yeah. Knew I was going to be involved to the extent that I am now, probably, you know, but there was no, like, this is what we're going to do, and this is how it's going to get done. Five-year, ten-year plan. Never had a plan, and even now I'm not a planner, so I'm kind of a reactor, and as things go, you know, that's the direction I'll go. So the reason, so my brother, Chad, who I'm partners with, was in, he joined the National Guard, and I have my other stepbrother, Jeremy, who is in the same grade as I am, he joined the Marine Reserve as well. And I think the reason we did is because of the toughness to it and it was different and Chad did this, so we got to do this type thing. And I don't know that we decided to do it together. It was more of a, I don't remember exactly how it went down. You know, I yeah. think he might have signed up first and then the recruiter got to me and, you know, <laughs> they, are, they are good salespeople. Right. And it was, we signed up for the reserve because I knew, you know, I wasn't going to go to college. I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to, you know, use the term get stuck in St. Peter and my job right away. Anchoring, you know? so, yeah. So it was something that we could do, I think, that was. Fun know, to get out of here for a yeah, minute. Yeah, fun, fun to get out of town and see some experiences. And then for the fun me, part about the reserve was there was, it wasn't the regular National Guard two weekend. You know, we did some cool stuff. Yeah. You know, I've been to Okinawa. I've, uh, we went to Gallup, New Mexico to build houses for the was it the navajo down there yeah. sure and then uh you know you go out to cax which is basically your fort ripley of the military you yeah. know yeah like it, all the units go out there for cax yeah it's like ntc for, sure. for you guys jack so what what time what was the time frame from when you went in uh enlisted uh wise and went off to boot so when i enlisted i enlisted as a junior like a lot of people did so i was a pulley for the first year really which in hindsight helped because it helped later with the benefits and getting stop lost and all that. It was hindsight. You know, obviously, we, there was no threats of, like, we didn't sign up because there was anything going on. At that well, this is 96, 97. 97, sure. You know, so obviously we, the Iraq war, the first one was when we were kids. And, I mean, that happened not overnight, it seemed like, on TV. Pretty, yeah. You know, so... Nobody knew anybody really that was involved with it other than a few, you know, the National Guard seemed to get activated a lot, but not, it wasn't like a, it didn't seem to be a serious threat. Right. It didn't hit home as much. Well, then fast forward to what we all went into the military for after it was 9-11, and we, I was in college at that time. So, game changer. Yeah. Like, we knew. Like, 
we were all towards the end of our enlistments. I was a second year at South Central going for civil tech. And it was, and we were getting married, Sarah and I. Sarah, Sarah graduated from Gustavus, and I had started school a couple, like a year and a half or two years later, because I didn't, again, so went to boot camp, did all that stuff, came back, was working the regular summer stuff, and we'd had winters off. And uh, actually, the tornado in St. Peter happened. Yeah, 98, yeah. So we were all busy doing that stuff. When we weren't working, doing our construction things, everybody we knew could work so we were i was on a sheetrock crew and i was on sure. you know yeah you had, the whole, yeah you had to rebuild the whole town basically yeah, so all of us had plenty of things to do and then like the year after that things slowed down in that world and it was basically it, it boiled down to i didn't collect unemployment because of some of the work i'd done before and then being involved in the military i needed something to do mm-hmm. and i was ran out of work with the drywall guys or this or didn't want to keep doing that whatever fill in the blank so then i'm like i remember i was driving a dump truck somewhere and i maybe a commercial came on or something i just remember being in the truck and i'm telling you the trucks we used to run were you know real nice shifters and big the steering wheel the size of this table you know so i'm working in this truck and probably hating life and i'm like you know i'm gonna go to school why not you know you had the gi bill yeah. You know, I started doing the math. Like, this is the reaction thing, not the planning thing. Yeah. Like, like, then I figured, then I start figuring things out. I'm like, well, basically, I'm going to get paid two grand a weekend if I go to school and go to drill. Why not? Sounds so pretty figure good. Figure it deal. out. Yeah. And then uh, ended up going to school. Met a few, you know, it's just like all your stages in life. You meet groups of guys and you grab one or two out of that, you know, each situation. And same thing there. Ended up working with some of the inspectors that we know now, you mm-hmm. know, cause I went to school with them, you know, so that was fun, but, uh, got your in now. Yeah. Got your in. And, <laughs> and I got the, you know, and honestly, I don't know why I just knew I had to do something different. You know, again, I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't want to get stuck here. If blacktop and doesn't go the way I want, you know, right. Or I knew there was potential of things I could do. And, and while I was going to school, I worked for LJP. Oh yeah. Cause uh, Larry Biederman's a good friend of the family. And he got me in on that. And I worked at the North Mankato Recycling Center. And that's when I started to see the, the problem-solving things and the running people. You know, it's just, like you start to realize maybe, you, you know, you are the guy that can, yeah. you know, do the next. Starting to put all the pieces together. Yeah, and I think it's young when, when you're a young guy, too, I think, and you're just out of high school and you're trying to figure stuff out. And some guys, you know, around you really know what they're doing and, you know, they've been doing what they're doing for a long time. And, you know, you see the confidence they have doing that, and you have the confidence in nothing you're doing because you haven't really done a whole lot, and you've done a little bit of everything. And I think there's two ways to look at it, too. I mean, some people that go into those things, you know, thinking they have all the answers, and, the, you know, other guys, you know, just kind of weeding through it as you grow. And sure. Those are important lessons that I look back on now and really realize how big a difference they made in my life. Yeah, I remember you know? being like a young kid like that, and, and I think I got some advice, or it was basically, you know, sit back, watch, try to understand what's going on, and try to figure it out before you ask too many damn questions, you know? And, and that's, and as, as we grow and do different things, you know, that school of mentality, is we call it the roughneck school, or the, you know, and it's hard now to keep that pace going, because people, people did grow up different than we did, and you know, we probably grew up two generations behind of where, you know. Mm-hmm. So now you're getting into the new school way of thinking and what, you know, what are we, we all 
griping about the millennials and all this. And it's like, I mean, this uh, is who we, that's what, this guy over here. So I'm going to calm down on the griping about the millennials. And, and that's what, you know, there's a touch. And the fun part about it is, is we're all like, if you break the groups down, there's still good people in there and there's still douchebags. And, oh, you know, for I sure. mean, we can figure it out. For so sure. like I, we've hired some young guys that I, you know, they're broke from the mold of us, you know, sure. like they get it. So it's not, it's pretty, pretty easy to generalize. Well, it's very, it's but. very situational, but Hey, I want to, I want to circle back for a few things on there. Uh, Cause there's a, a big time frame in there. Not, not everybody uh, knows, uh, you know, what it was like going through uh, boot camp right out of high school in the pre nine eleven. Me and me and Jack are the post nine eleven, so there was a little bit of a different of an expectation going into the basic tra- right out the gate. Not saying bad, you know, harder, lesser, or whatever else. So, what take take me through uh, that piece? You know, obviously you were a wrestler, so you had some sort of level right. of fitness. You, you had the ability to sweat, cut weight, be starved. Oh yeah, <laughs> Mental determination. So, so what was basic like for you when you showed up? Where'd you go? So I went to San Diego. I was, so I think. Reserves trained, uh, same, same boot camp, same, same as regular. Same deal, yeah. Yep. Boot camp was, yeah, it was eye-opening. You know, as tough as you think you are, or as hard as you think you are, no matter what, they're going to figure out your weak points, and, and that's obviously their job. It was, uh, you know, most guys going into that situation are the kings of their areas for the most part, you know, because they're, they're you, you don't join the Marines for the money and, you know, and the, the cool amenities that we have. Like, we all knew that part of it going in. Yeah, there's know. no signing bonuses, at least during that time for the Marines. Yeah, and we weren't yeah. staying in the nice barracks. And, we, you know, so all that, we kind of knew that going in. But it, it was a pride thing. And, I, you know, if you're going to do something, do the tough one. And so I think the Crucible was a, a fairly new thing when we went in in 90 seven sure. when we actually went to boot camp which i think is still a thing yeah and i don't know it was basically guy you know just like it you know the movies like I, you, you guys know, did 13 weeks yeah 13 back, weeks uh, and then got our butts kicked and then straightened back out in that 13 weeks and then we uh so your mos is my om uh my mos was uh what was it basically a mechanic it's 35 sure. 21 i think it was sure. I, I don't remember how <laughs> but it was a long time ago yeah and lasting impression yeah. <laughs> big impression <laughs> but that so so the guys so in the marine corps as you know you go when you get down to basic training there's 17 days of combat training yep. if you're not a grunt yeah. correct mct yeah, yeah. yeah yep so we go to pendleton for and you guys just roll right from boot camp into that. Right? There was a week. That's your you go home for a week. Oh, you did go home. Yeah, I believe everybody did. It felt like it was pretty much the same guys. Yeah, that we, a lot we, of people had boot leave. I didn't know how it worked. For Maybe me. they're just sick. You wanted to break. Yeah, I would assume that's probably what happened. So, so you go back for that. And I remember in San Diego, it did not rain one single day in boot camp. Not a single day when we went up to Pendleton for this outdoor basically you're out in the field for 17 days it rained every single day is that in the winter like january february then or something or what? yeah would it well no it would have been like october and okay. november so going I in think. the winter yeah yeah sure because i didn't in the winter i was in on uh cam johnson in north carolina sure that's where we went to so basically my whole from start to finish was basically a year 
all for your boot, your boot, MCT, and then, and then your your MOS training. Yep. The, so I don't know if I ever told you that before. I don't know if I talked about it on on when we did kind of my service story, but. So the Marine Corps, they have MCT, the Marine Corps Combat Training, and then Infantry Training Battalion, all kind of like the same camp. Sure. And also, uh, think like Fort Campbell, you know, there's little camps on Fort Campbell that breaks the, the brigades down. Yep. Same thing, Camp Pendleton. Well, St. Onofre is where they do all this infantry training uh, for the non-infantry and then the infantry, and then they have like advanced infantry schools. But uh, we actually had a, a local connection with an MCT instructor uh, from Mankato area that uh, his father knew my father, sure. Vietnam oh. guys, um, Cliff, and I won't, I won't use his, his full name, but uh, Cliff was a, an E7, a gunny, an MCT, came from the infantry. He was a rec- they, they made a recon marine, trained the, the non-infantry guys on right. their, that side of it. Uh, and you're in a little receiving thing at uh, waiting to pick up with your training unit. And I remember one of the sergeants came in and was like, oh, where's uh, PFC McLaughlin? I was like, doing nothing and somebody just walks in the room it's like hey where's usually it means you screwed up or somebody ran right. you out for something and not that i did anything wrong but you know you don't have to get do something wrong and get blamed for it and so i get brought out to the the ladder well or stairwell and just wait here and get left alone by a sergeant and i about shit my pants because it's like this is when you get smoked uh, right. when you know no, nobody's around or whatever and this big mountain of a gunny comes walking up and the way the marine corps is with their rank it's mm. black on green. You can't, yeah. can't. So you're like gun master first, yeah. and we just can't call each other sarge like they do in right. the army. And uh, the guy you're always nervous, no matter what. Oh yeah, right? yeah, especially, especially at that, that time. Yeah. yeah, I mean you're you're booter in hell. Yeah. Uh, and guy comes up and and tells me, uh, Cliff, you know, you uh, PFC McLaughlin, yeah, Tom McLaughlin, your dad, yeah, man, kid of Minnesota, yeah. He's like, okay, here's the deal. Whenever you get liberty, it's not going to be for a while. Whenever they give you Cinderella liberty. You're going to sit on the grinder, and I'll find out what it is, and you're going to wait for me, and you're coming home with me, and you're not hanging out with those fucking idiots. Because <laughs> that was literally, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, and uh, th- thankfully, you know, uh, when we got our first Liberty overnight, the same thing. He was sitting there in his truck waiting for me. Somehow I knew about I mean, it. Yeah. But, I mean, I got hooked up on that that side of it, too. And so, uh, but a lot of people, when, the, when they talk about the, the every Marine's a rifleman, Everyone goes to Edson Range uh, in basic training. Everyone does a rifle qual, but then every single MOS, you know, whether you're a cook to a cleaner, uh, ends up going to that MCT uh, where they'll do you know some squad patrolling tactics, fire team maneuver. Uh, a lot of I'm up, up. I'm up. I'm. He sees me. I'm down. You know. Yeah, we run. did all that stuff yeah. throughout even our reserve training yeah. too. There sure. was, that was a yeah. big part of it. Which was also. I don't necessarily know that I knew that sure. going in, but it was more fun, obviously, as you got to do, you know, different things, yeah. not just your trade. You well, know? and once you, I mean, they, they kind of give you a baseline on what to expect, and then, but once you get in, you kind of, kind of give that acceptance to the suck that it's just gonna, you're gonna roll with yeah. it until you're done and figure it out, you know, along the way. And I think all the service branches, people that are successful getting through or that don't quit, you go in there with that mentality. Eventually, it's like, well, the hell with it, I'm gonna figure it out and I'll roll with it until it goes through and. So it sounds like you rolled with it. Yeah, but I just would. And we, I got, so the reserve part of it, I'm glad I did that. You know, I was, I wouldn't call myself the Marines Marine. You know, I'm not your stereotypical, you know, when I tell people, they're like, what? Yeah, Gunny Highway from. Yeah, (laughs) no, I, uh, you know, we all got those stories in boot camp and along the way, you know, the stories that I have aren't typical of the Marine Corps stories that. 
everyone knows of clearing out bars and yeah. you know, doing all the stuff we did because when especially when we got activated we were out of there you know we were we'd get as far away from the bases as we could you know try to grow our hair as long as we le- legally could uh, you know through a little more than three inches on top and that yeah. was the and there's guys that tested that obviously especially yeah. the reserve side of it you know so you know back and forth from doing the uh, two-week training things like going to uh, Okinawa would be a good example. Yeah. I think we stayed there for, it wasn't quite a month, but it wasn't like two weeks, you know, you can't sure. get over there and back. So, you know, like hanging out with the real units, you know, over there in Okinawa, we were not oh, that's very popular. Jungle warfare and stuff over there too. It was insane. Yeah. Like it was a whole nother level. Of, and those guys, I'm not going to say they hated us, but they were not too kind to us. Well, I mean, they, and during that time, man, uh, Okinawa, like, you know, again, when the wars weren't going on, that was a deployment for, like, the active duty Marines. They would send them there for, you know, a UDP for, you know, three yeah, months Yeah, you'd or stay six there. Months. I yeah. mean, that's the yeah. second biggest base we have, right, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So there's a lot of Marines over there. And they did not want to be there, and the Okinawans did not want us to be there either. Well, you know? there, was yeah. a, there was a different outlook, especially during that time on reserve and guard compared to in the – the post 9-11 era with uh, the rampant uh, deployments and activations of guard and reserve and the up training tempo and everything. Yeah, and that's what so. I think kind of like, because well, the fun part about that was like we're, so we're a bunch of reservists with all kinds of different trades, you know. So we would go, like when we went out there, for instance, I had this buddy, Fitzgerald was his name, just a, he's, he's, a, he's a business owner as well. He owns an uh, excavating company over by Goodyear. Just as sharp as a tack, man. I mean, sharp. It's a good Irishman, too. Uh, yeah. So he, uh, <laughs> so him and I get stuck on this Humvee, and we did the wiring harness in a Humvee, and he had just done one in something, right? So he had this little plan down. He's like, here, Nielsen, you help me. We'll figure this out. And I mean, record time. Like, blew the doors off. Just like, oh, no way you guys are going to get, you know, we had it done. And like, no, and no credit to me. This guy did it. And I was just his guy. I was sure. handing him out, pulling the wires through. And he did this whole thing, and. A matter of hours, which takes days, and it'll never start. It'll never. You guys are, you know, just busting our balls. And he gets in there, starts it right up, you know. So that was kind of the tipping point of these guys know what they're doing, you know. So then, sure. you, so that type of thing would happen quite a bit when we go off on, like when we went down to Gallup, uh, the unit that we were attached to was a uh, uh, civil engineering unit, you know. So they they set up we, we were going down there to pour concrete to build this parking lot which is right up my alley yeah which is i also broke my toe down there so i know how you, <laughs> no jack feels yeah, yeah. jack i, I can feel your pain yeah, I, I broke my toe yeah. in gallup new mexico but i pushed through yeah I'm proud of you yeah. yeah it was it was tough i get it i get it now yeah we can relate yeah, yeah we got yeah. stuff to relate on take a medical discharge yeah, yeah. yeah. You could actually fight better, through it. Yeah, yeah, you went over the top of hair but yeah, yeah. I, would, I always worn up and everybody yeah. Yeah. No, but that was fun. Like, just the different things we got to do. And then, you know, bringing in your outside trades to, you know, like I was hauling the water truck back and forth, no license. You know, <laughs> there, yeah. you go, well, or, technically, if we can't talk our way out of this ticket, I mean, how are you going to, you know, so yeah. just stuff like that with a fun experience of it all. Well, that's that's something, too, I hear a lot about the the reserves is you, you kind of, the, the jerry-rig things, you know, that they have a lot of those, those uh, even though you guys have a, sa- a similar MOS or an occupation, you have a lot of other backgrounds and trades and ex- uh, experiences that all kind of eclectic uh, together in that. Yeah. So, and then, I mean, then you're able to accomplish some of those off-the-wall uh, things too as well. But 
there, there, there's something too that you know, we glossed over uh, that that again the the average listener wouldn't understand uh, this tornado thing in St. Peter uh, for being a St. Peter native. Oh yeah, that's pretty big. And and, and again for those that don't know, uh, the city of St. Peter is a college town in, in southern Minnesota. Was actually supposed to be the capital of uh, Minnesota. Yeah until somebody from the legislature just took that bill and went AWOL until the session ended. Yeah, but we've all heard the yeah, but, yeah. but but uh uh it, it's literally probably about twenty miles from where we're sitting right now and it was uh ninety seven or ninety eight ninety eight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh ninety eight, uh literally a tornado pretty much rolled down Main Street. Uh, e five. Uh yeah. Uh of a town the size of, you know, about twelve thousand people. Yeah, and then it mass. split and uh, two, three tornadoes total. Was yeah, it? it's something like that. It made a mess. That's yeah, for sure. and it, it ripped up the whole uh, downtown Main Street, the housing, the, the college, pretty much. Old, this old, is, old damn town. Is like yeah, and, yeah. This, and this is a River Valley town, and so for a visual, I mean, you used to not be able to see the campus sitting up on the river bluff because it was covered with trees, and then that went through. And so for a Mankato kid not being in St. Peter, uh, I remember, God, I must have been in junior high or freshman, uh, but they had literally working parties where they let out school to yeah, go help was, help clean on that side. So you would you would have been in the uh, Marine Reserves at the time. You would have been working at this time. So yeah, I came back from drill actually that Sunday that it happened. So so you so were at, at was, drill when yeah, that Sunday because it happened on a Sunday, and just came back down. And I remember I was at my mom's house. It was on the north side of town, so I knew it was a bad storm, but I had no idea until I left. Like I went up showered and then I was gonna go. Sarah's parents probably probably and like I said the sirens run off and it was dark and you know that happens you know right mid once yeah just not and I'm telling you when I drove started driving through I was like oh my goodness you yeah. know my parents house was leveled upon which was on 99 so it, it kind of came through 99 and went diagonal through St. Peter and then over towards uh La Center yeah. it was kind of the path it took which is basically yeah, well, I was from I was the heart of St. Peter. Cleveland, you yeah, know, so Cleveland. I watched it roll right across the, the north side of town there, you know. Yeah, and then Cleveland got hit another couple of years later. I yeah. Think. I remember working uh, with 06. Yeah. Yeah. So being a St. Peter kid, though, growing up, I mean, like what, I mean, that had to have a hell of an impact on you, rolling in your own town, look like you just oh, got yeah, hit by was, a bomb. There was, well, and then plus our parents, I was basically where our shop was at the time for Nielsen was all leveled. So we, I, we didn't go to work much that year. I mean, they were... That's why we lived in Marway for a time, because we mm-hmm. lived down there when they were building our houses. Actually, I think that's another time, <laughs> another story. But uh, so, yeah, like working out of FEMA trailers and we did, you know, getting all of our stuff was broke and crappy, you know, even though it was old and crappy. At least it worked. Yeah. So that was part of, you know, rebuilding that stuff and then working on tearing things down and putting stuff you know i just remembered towards the end of that summer we were just filling holes through the whole town like all the sewer and water stuff that got like i remember like ww had a list and smc had a list and nielsen had a list and we were all like we would stop on the middle of the road and compare who, who do you got who do you got it was just bananas oh, like did that so all you guys working together on uh, on that during literally a, a time of disaster and when that tornado hit it wasn't Hey, tornado hit. Now it's everything over. It literally took you know oh, years. several months, years for yeah. things to get get back to functional. But yeah, and that I mean honestly, that scarred the town. Or even now, we're dealing with impacts of you know the 
procedures St. Peter has in place to to keep the riffraff out, I would say, you know, because they just got such a bad deal with all the contractors coming sure. from all over the United States. You well, know. But what are that, I mean, I, I would assume, I guess, is what I was getting at with the local businesses. You you mentioned a couple of them, including Nielsen, kind of all getting together and comparing lists, but that just seemed a little bit more of a, well, it a was, rallying around your community. and It, like, nece- it wasn't necessarily that. Like, th- that kind of stuff was over. It yeah. was, I mean, we weren't in the position to, like, if that happened nowadays, it would be a lot different story for us. You know, we, were, we weren't in the position to, to be able to help out a community like we could All now. the trucks you got now in a yeah, couple I mean, we, probably, and that's, you, you know, those are... load out half of St. Peter in an afternoon. Well, be close. <laughs> <laughs> but so it was just more of the chaos of who had what, who's doing what, what permits were... I mean, it was just a mess, you know, because people were trying to get their stuff done and the city itself was trying to you know create you know an ordinance to deal i mean there's the level of things that got to be dealt with Mm -hmm. just beyond the surface are so intense and you know guys doing fraud and you know getting work half done and you know it was it was it was a mess but yeah it was it was a terrible time honestly for everybody you know everybody's life was kind of turned upside down and i mean you think about i mean i was a young kid when all that happened you know but I think about, like, if you were trying to go to school at the time, you know, if you were a kid in school. You know, I mean, I know it's March. Yeah, it was school, March, so school's just about out, but, I mean. Yeah, they were dealing with, I remember, because obviously I had friends that still were in high school because we were just out, and they were going to school. They had trailers everywhere. Yeah. I think Sarah was at, at Gustavus. Well, I mean, a lot of people had to get, probably move out of town for a while just because they didn't have nowhere to live. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think my folks... My dad and stepmom and that family, that side of the family, lived in uh, a hotel over in Mankato for right. a long, long time. time. And Some people probably just never came back. I don't know. I, Some, uh, you know, I'm sure. You know? I mean, it it definitely, yeah, it was it was something. tough. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that it's, it has a lasting impact on on the area on that side of it, and to to at least. Uh, be a military-aged male, and I don't mean that, you know, from the military sense, but I mean a, a capable male at the time to at least be able to help out and do some of the physical Oh, side. yeah, we were, and that yeah. was the thing. Everyone was trying to help everybody out, and then the beautiful part of it was, too, not just negative, like all the help. Yeah. Like we'd be working at our place, and trucks would just show up and start cutting trees, and, you know, it, the service and, like, uh, Salvation Army would come feed i mean they were driving around town nonstop. just yeah. like the the resources we had that got that's to actually it. one of my vivid memories you know i was pretty young but i do remember getting a hot dog off that truck yeah they <laughs> would, i remember they'd have I like <laughs> somebody was a fat kid yeah. that's right absolutely like free hot dog i don't remember yeah. the big disaster but <laughs> that, no, yeah. i mean i was down there cleaning up but i do remember that truck and i was kind of sketched out by it honestly uh, yeah there was a lot of them but i mean i think that I mean, that has a good, I think, parallel for us on our small, like, micro area. T- to me, you know, looking and reflecting on it, it seemed like a like our own mini 9-11 here in, in, oh, sure. in the area for just a disaster. And everybody rallying around it because literally, you know, schools within a 30-mile radius or 40-mile radius of the town of St. Peter, they were literally busing working parties of kids from the school to the town to, yeah, and we had to been- help out. So the floods in St. Peter, too, we were dealing with those in, like, 91, 92. So we were used to those kind of things in St. Peter, you know, getting out of school to go sandbag and (coughs) different things like that. The floods were really bad, too, I remember. Yeah, just so. 92 on 6 out for some reason. So honestly, like, some of those things, 
kind of had us prepared because we were, I mean, St. Peter always gets closed down, you know, even yeah, nowadays. Bridges. Bridges and, yeah. you know, so it's well, that's, kind of a weird isolated spot. One of those honest. things, too, you hear, you know, like the dig. And, I mean, I know you weren't uh, taking a shot. You're just more or less getting down to the individual in the individual circumstances of a person. But I, I still think, you know, those are like the examples of you look, that's not that long ago, you know, 98, 92, where, you know, people – say like oh you know things going to uh, hell in a handbasket around here it's like nah there's there's still you know fabric and connectivity amongst the communities and when when things get bad you'd be surprised how many people are willing to help in this country you shouldn't be surprised even just for one person i mean look at when i got wounded how many people you know in this community rallied in so many different ways you know Yeah. yeah yeah and that's why i think this podcast is important and like just sharing the fact that yeah it's a lot of us come from the same way, you know, of military stuff, but there's way more out there that, you know, just a service community, matter. Community, like side, community of side of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we're rolling forward a little bit. We cleared out of the natural disaster uh, in St. Peter. You know, I had some, you know, cool experiences in the reserve. Got married. Is yeah. That, uh, Honestly, know. yeah. So that was 2001. Okay. We got married again, like having the venue booked and all that, like that, all that was up in the air. So we are here and we're going to get activated now and we're going to get so activated then. This, yeah, we knew. After September you got married. I got married in October. Right, so it's chip months. Yeah. After, yeah. So, like, it, we didn't know. Like, everyone knew something was going to happen. And they but the wedding was planned before September? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know if this yeah. was like a reactionary. I'm, no, it I'm wasn't getting called up. It was a, and we obviously... If we had to have, we probably would change, but we just kind of left it go. You know, rumors are rumors, just like anywhere else. You yeah. know, we left 20 times before we actually left. Yeah, you know? right. So, but all, and then, so keep in mind, so that's the side of the story that a lot of people don't know. There was a lot of us in the military that weren't there because of the patriotic thing. We were there because of the patriotic thing, but it, it didn't take the big 9-11 to get us there, which is something to be proud of as our military and our the service people around, you know. Yeah. For the most part, you know, there's a lot of us that feel the need to do something, right? Whatever that is, whether it's going to the service or, you know, just giving back to your church, whatever it is. But yeah. So fast forward to we're getting out, right? And we had the mentality of Marines that were getting out, right? <laughs> so, but you got to square yourself up. Like now this is real again, okay? So I was like the grand old Lance Corporal, the, you know, Frank didn't matter in my unit, you know, because I got to do the good jobs and I didn't really, I, I was getting the GI Bill and all, you know, I didn't, wasn't for the money, you know, so I wasn't going to, but now I'm like, I'm going to go into this and who knows, you know, if it's, if it is like TV and we get stuck into, you know, all these other units and they're not going to remember that I was a cool kid back in <laughs> yeah. MWSS 471, you yeah. know, so. So I turned in all my college credits and all my stuff to get promoted and had to, in the reserves, you know, in the Marines, you have the cutting score and you got to do your PFT and all this stuff, your height and weight, all that matters. While in the reserve, they do it all in the same day. And then in active duty, come to find out, they don't do it in the same day, which makes sense because <laughs> it's hard to make a weight and then run three miles as a wrestler. I mean, it's doable, but next level stuff. Right. So obviously... When we got down to North Carolina, they did that. So I was able to get promoted right away, which helped with all the other stuff. Keep in mind, so you got a bunch of Minnesota guys and a bunch of 
we're Pennsylvania guys and Michigan guys, and we all kind of come together. And we're, you know, we're college kids, basically. We're just out of college, most of us. So we get activated, and we're going down there, and we were supposed to go to, I don't remember, I talked to a buddy, I think it was Egypt or somewhere we were going to go, but they wouldn't let us in there. So hindsight, maybe thankfully they didn't, or whatever agreement yeah. they had. So we ended up just staying, basically replaced a unit, that, an air wing unit that went over, and they actually left and then came back while we were still there. And then we got kicked out of our dorm room there and had to go. I mean, it was just a fiasco, to be honest with you. That was a lot of... A lot of pieces of motion at that time. Yeah, here, for sure. What the hell was going on? And that's just it. I think it kind of went a little quicker than they expected on some things and, you know, longer. But I just remember being at my buddy's living room during shock and awe, you know, thinking, yeah. you know, my buddy's going, aren't you supposed to be at war? And I'm like, well, I'm calling under orders. Yeah, what am I supposed to do? They got my number. They'll they, call if they need me. I you just, know, so it was... The, the war stories and the, you know, God forbid Jack's story, you know, I don't have a lot of those stories because we weren't in that part of it. You know, we just, we went, we did what we were supposed to do and we got stop loss. Some of us got stop loss for nine, 10 months. I think I got stop loss for six, which means President Bush did, wanted to keep things the way they were just in right. case. So we, yep. we, you know, so we had stop loss You're birth dates, to. like our end of enlistment dates become another day to party on. That was how it all yeah, went sure, down. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's what North Carolina was. And it was, I mean. I think, the, I think the, the, the last time they'd really done that in, in mass, like they did, you know, in, in 2001 was the Cuban Missile Crisis. They stop lost a yeah. hell of a lot of reservists and um, guard and everything else that were, were getting out. But so I mean, to your point, man, it's not something you have to justify or rationalize like, oh, you know, I did what I did. It's, that's what the, the mission was and what the nation was calling for at that exactly. time. And there's, there's a whole lot of like guard and, uh, members, even the state of Minnesota, people forget, got sent to the Canadian border after 9-11 to literally oh, stand yeah, guard. Or uh, a guy that I work with, they got sent to uh, Minneapolis uh, airport to do right. airport security for a month and a half because they didn't have anything. It's... You feel the need that the the nation has at the time, and you you go to the call you have, and 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 that mission, you know, if you you do it, whatever that calling is, honorably, and you do your time, and you come home. And honestly, it was easy to do with what happened. We were all it wasn't. Mm-hmm. There was a few people that went AWOL or you didn't come down. You know, nothing like, you know, they they got them, and yeah, everyone's well, like, I had to get this stuff yeah, done. Yeah, it's not like know. I got to pick what I what I got yeah. to do either. I just showed up to wherever they told yeah, me to go was, to. You know. Yeah. So you, I mean, you tra- transitioned out then after that that period, and then when did you get out? Well, you I've been two thousand three, two thousand two or three. Yeah. In fact, I so, so things were rolling good in the business then, huh? No, well, we were starting. We were young, so then I came back <clears throat> from that. Went to school at that time, so now I'm done with school and done with Marines and going to be a black topper. How old? And, uh, how old do you think you were now? Twenty four. Twenty four. Twenty five. Twenty four. So the story goes. <clears throat> It's my brother and I, Chad. The not Nielsen? The not Nielsen. <laughs> the, and uh, it's, you know, him and I doing, so I started doing a lot of bidding and, you know, getting into the bigger stuff, you know, getting, you know, getting you, ourselves into trouble sometimes and getting projects a hair too big, you know, how, that how'd type you get of thing. Yeah. bidding? Did you just figure it out? Well, my dad was that part of it, you know, that was what he did, so that's what I did. And, you know, he basically, at that time, it was just going to, people's places and measuring them and talk to them and you know pretty easy to do sure you know 
then the next layer of stuff was the, you know, the civil tech part of it, the civil engineering part of it, where I got that background, was comfortable reading plans and doing, you know, not, wasn't necessarily good at it, but just figured I <laughs> could. Well, this yeah. is the next step, you know. Yeah. So, and then uh, it was just so I was still living in Jordan, and Chad had actually moved back. So Chad lived in in uh, Belle Plaine at the, or I mean uh, Prior Lake at that time. Because his wife worked up in Savage, right? sure. so yep. that was kind of our his halfway point, and then so we were carpooling back and forth for a while. So we talked a lot, and you know the big plans that you have as young, young bucks and taking over the family business. And so we went a couple years of kind of the same old stuff, where kind of wasn't you know wasn't going as good as we had hoped, and we knew we had big plans, so. Basically, I decided that I was either going to go up to the cities and work and, you know, become a, get on a crew, or I was going to, Chad and I were going to take over Nielsen. And we basically, it wasn't the greatest time for the fam. You know, I probably did it a little hasty, but it, I just knew it had to be done. So I basically ripped off the band-aid and Chad was on board. And obviously I wouldn't, Chad is a work, I mean, there's no one, no one that can work harder than Chad. I mean, he is a machine. So you put that combination of, you know, me putting deals together and doing whatever it is I do, and then you got a guy that you just can't can't put enough work to him, and then you start building crews around him. That's how it kind of started. And I, basically, we went to the parents, and you do this, we'll do this, and we kind of separated it out so we could keep paying them. And you know, we start we we moved out of there, built the shop. I'm like you guys own the shop. What year was this? You think it would have been like two thousand. Oh boy, so you're just on the cusp. Yeah, I was young, you know. Yeah. So which What was that like approaching your old man? It was tough. It was one of the harder things and it would and even was tough for years after that. Sure. I mean, even to this day a little bit. To approach family as like a business. Well, it was yeah. I I mean, it was I was young enough so I, the separation was you know, I just did it and that's how it was going to be and uh and come full circle like my stepmom she's great she works hard and like taught us i mean the work ethic she's still around and working with us and my dad passed away here about three years ago four years ago and he was back with us and doing you know so the plan worked right and it uh there was some growing pains in there and you know some sibling there's a lot of us so there's so it's me and my sister jessica i come from my mom jill nielsen who they own the cabin bar in nicollet Everyone knows Jill, and she basically worked at Whiskey River her whole life, and you know, every, everyone in town knows Jill. So, and then Pat and Craig, which is my dad, and Pat, they uh, they had three boys, and then together they had two, Carl and Heather. Mm-hmm. So, a school of us, right? So we all grew up together, and but Chad and Trent kind of did the black topping and. My brother Jeremy was a little more involved in the restaurant. The other ones, were, and my older brother was off doing his own thing, so he wasn't really around. And uh, we just took that part of it seriously, a little more seriously than my old man, to be honest, at the time. And we knew that. How, so how did he receive it when you and Chad? Well, so he kind of checked out a bit. He was doing karaoke. Yeah, say, yeah. So my old man, everyone knows my old man too, and uh, <laughs> he's big at Molly's and around town. Like he just so he. I don't know. Maybe it goes back to some of the drinking stuff that will get into a hair with me, you know, just found something a little easier, a little more fun to make money on. Sure. And uh, and he was good at it. 
right? I mean, he liked it. You know, you know obviously, he could afford it because we were doing other stuff, so he could have the most stuff and the most equipment. I think that was part of it, too. I, mean, like, I remember him saying, I can't be the biggest black topper. I'm going to be the biggest croaky guy. And to be honest, it haunts me to this day. Like, I always think about that, you know, like, well, I'm going to be, you know. Like, yeah. those were, that was, like, thinking back yeah. to that time and where now, like, when you reflect back, like, yeah, that motivated you, you know. That's right. what I was going to say, the motivation point for, and those little, like, you know, I, I, I'm going to be that guy. If you're not obviously, that wasn't the goal, right? It yeah. wasn't the goal. I will be, you know, but as things progress and things. You kind of thought to yourself, why not, though? Well, why not us? And then yeah. that's the point I, you know, I think about a lot of times, you know, whether you're helping somebody out or who else is going to do it sometimes? I right. find myself thinking, if not me, who? And who right? Yeah, all the time, sitting in the Army all the time. So, and that, whether it's work-related or, you know, the getting this job or not getting that job or knowing that, you know, well, if we get this job with them, they're going to, we're going to help them out and we're going to, you know, so if not us, then who? You know, I find myself saying that quite a bit. And those were going back to the taking the stuff over. And it, like I said, it wasn't a takeover, but it kind of, it ended up being that, but it was for the best, obviously. And what happened two years later then when the recession hit? We were too young and dumb to know that it was there. Didn't even bother again. Didn't, we were growing through that all. And then, honestly, the big company in the area shrunk up, which left the window to, for us to grow. And then, sure. So, basically, since that time, we have not stopped growing. How big were you guys when you took it over, employee-wise? Just seven, eight of us. You know, it was my my dad. I mean, non-union then too. Yeah, for sure, non. We just went non. We just went union a couple of years ago. So it was just basically your true mom and pop shop. Yeah, you know that's awesome. And so in 2006, when we took over, it was starting. You know, I remember the first million, and you know, like the, as you start, you start setting benchmarks, and then you, would, you know, then you would grow off of this. How many trucks you had, you know, like, like internal benchmarks that I had for myself, like trying to, you know, I had to have had to pick some points to to meet, obviously. Well, you gotta have a point of aim, man. Yeah, you gotta have a target to work towards. And I don't know exactly what that was. It was just the banker you know, telling you this is how much. And that you was had. that's a, honestly, <laughs> yeah. honestly, it, like the growth part came from bankers, like being yeah. like, "Oh, you guys are in good shape." Like, oh. yeah. like I remember Sarah saying <laughs> you one think time, so? <laughs> <laughs> "Really?" Like Sarah saying, "Sarah, are you ever gonna make any money off of you know?" Like she was, she was the breadwinner for that yeah. first couple of years. To be honest, of you know, we weren't taking money and understand. Like we were just. We're just working, right? Trying to make this yeah. thing work. And uh, it was a while. It took a while to, like, kind of like the four. We started running, right? And it took us a while to, like, turn around and look back to see what we had started to accomplish. And there was just so much stuff to do. You didn't have time it, to stop. It was. Around. And it was like, it, it would, you know, you'd add this. And then we started the concrete side of it. And you know, there was just always something, right, to add on to it. And uh, just started growing. And it was. Like, people see it nowadays, and, you know, I don't know what they think or how, but it was a long road. I mean, from 2006 to now, it wasn't short, you know. Right. I mean, there was, oh. there was growing pains in there. The craziest part is it's almost, been, say, almost 20 years, yeah. yeah. Do you ever get the uh, people looking at you and go, wow, it must be nice? Yeah, all Anything. the time. I mean, that's nice. Yeah, I busted my ass I, for this. I don't. That's one of the perspectives. Lion doesn't you know, lose. Every, must be nice to hey, you know go go in the military, work full time, build yeah. a business, you know, raise a family. I always say a lion doesn't lose sleep over the opinion of sheep. You know, yeah. it's just you know. and that, that those things. You walk up to someone when you're hey money bags like that kind of stuff like 
it doesn't it just rubs me the wrong way but it, i get it right. just a you know like nervous whatever say hello type thing to some people so i don't it's i just kind of watch my own bobber and keep yeah. going and see what do, the next yeah. step is and yeah but there's we've come to the point now where right. i get it when you start looking around we are the guys you know it, we are the ones that are it's a lot of work, a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's a lot of work. I mean, all the time. I mean, it's not something you can say, hey, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not something you can just walk no, away we're not, from. It's, we're committed now. It's not a, right. It's I mean, none of that, you know. But so what do you do on those days that you don't really feel like getting up and going? I mean, what's well, your why? What's your what's let's your let's reason? Go back. To, let's go back here. to. Yeah, what's your reason to? Well, to, now, so so we built all this up. And it's, when I say we, it's 100%. Like my brother's. Sally was actually a cousin in the office. I mean, rock star people. They get the same thing, understand how I work, you know. So it, things just start to click. You start talking about different office staffs and different groups of people that, yeah, they got four or five people doing this. And, and we are always leaner than everybody, always. Even, even now. Mm-hmm. Like, for all the people we have, for the jobs that we do and the things, we run lean, right? And I think that's important to our success. And, the people around us, right? So you got to have the people that have the same mentality, kind of cut from the same cloth. Obviously, your brothers typically are. And then those other people around them that can put up with their roughneckness and our rough, you know, we're not. Nielsen Blacktopping is becoming the, you know, a corporate company, whether we like it or not. And it's, it's a hard change of, you know, handbooks and policies and HR and all that stuff. Right. I mean, there's going to come a point where that gets a little more involved and then I'll have to deal with that as it comes. But right now, it all kind of starts and stops with me at HR and the foreman take care of their stuff. You want to build good people around you and, and uh, yeah, I kind of let those guys run their jobs. I don't get too involved. Sometimes, right. you know, that's part of the success too. I don't get worked up about a lot of the... Did, did you find that when you first started with everything being as lean and tough and everything as it was that you had to have your hands on everything to make sure it, it went right. And it was it hard ever to turn that control over and just let foremans go run their jobs. And so all that happened with me because I would always hire people better than me at certain, like I'm not an equipment operator. Right. So if those guys, like some owners are good equipment operators and then, you know, so they're always out there running equipment and then, you know, they build around that where I built, around guys yep. and then my job was to go get work and keep those guys keep those busy. guys working so that happened early on you know so we'd come together and I'd, I'd be on the crew a lot and like typically i would blacktop with the blacktopping crew as we started separating you know like as chad and yep. he would go prep things and then my other brothers would start running the paper you know as it just kind of folded out that way like one crew to two crews to three crews to one concrete crew to two concrete crews to now we're adding a third concrete crew and you just kind of let that layer out as you can handle it right you start noticing that oh we, we can grab this amount of work you know and then you're again it goes back to right, when you start looking around like you're the guy right maybe we're the people that let's start grabbing more foreman let's start grabbing more people or yeah and now that we're out there a little more i think one of the gripes with us was don't go work for those Nielsen boys. They work too hard, you know, or those, those, <laughs> we just go, right? So, and we did. I mean, we we always felt like the underdog, and the, to this day, we kind of have that mentality of we have to work harder and faster than everybody so else. So is that, is that your drive? Is it being the underdog? A little bit, maybe. 
Yeah. You know, just that's the reason you get up and you can go pushes. Nah, well, I would say there's a part. It's people. It's like so. Going back to about five years ago, it's kind of when I maybe six now, seven. Time goes. (laughs) So getting into the like the drinking too much and the so that's all tied together with that, you know, because you create a culture of work hard, party hard, right? We grew up in that. Whether it's in the military, construction guys, you know, you win a bid. You go, you win a bid, you go, yeah, you go celebrate. You lose a bid, you get pissed off. Let's go go, have some beers. Yeah. So (laughs) created, and then, then that was, I had some success, right? So I could get away with, I built this crew of animals that were just like us. And, you know, so I could get away a little bit. So I kind of took advantage of that. Sure. You know, I got complacent. I got bored with what I was doing and uh, I just, I got into finding happy hours a little earlier and earlier in the day and staying a little later and later. And to be honest, my dad had trouble with drinking too. And it's kind of, you know, a lot of that stuff is hereditary or cultural, however you want to say it. Bottom line is a lot of people have it and a lot of people got to deal with it either now or later. And so I become, I, I let that become way too big a part of my life to where it's actually the first place I met you is in a bar. I'm sure. That's the first place a lot of people met me yeah. outside of a parking lot oh. that we were building for them, oh. you know. So, and again, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't the guy that would go hide a bottle and, you know, pop the cork, but I was a guy that could go have 20 or 30 at a happy hour that started at 11 and go home, late, you know. So it honestly got a hold of me. My dad had said, he's like, it's going to get a hold of you. Just be careful, you know, because I was always the guy that could, drink the most and mm-hmm. still get up at seven and get my stuff done. And then as I got a little complacent, had some success, I basically coast ride for a little while. And I would say from like 2016, seven, oh, probably 17, 18. And then until three years ago when I finally just had enough, I was putting too much pressure on my family of not being the guy I knew I was supposed to be. Right. Like, always finding a reason to not be around or again, find that excuse. And it, it did, it started to control how I was thinking and you know, how to play the next game, do the next, Oh, we're going to go look at this work for 10 mm-hmm. minutes and then sit in a bar the rest of the day and t- talk about other stuff. You know, So did, and I had a group of guys that I still talk to a lot today that, you know, they're all six, you know, not all successful, but, same same boat we are in to, to be able to get away with a little bit of that stuff. Yep. We took advantage of the freedom. So one, I just said I got to stop. And there had been times when I'd stop for a while and it'd just creep back up, you know. And it just took, like I said, it took over my life. So I uh, ripped the bandaid off and went to Hazleton. Yeah, so Hazleton, Minnesota. Yeah, so yeah. I, and, and the only reason I went there was because we did snow removal and ice uh, salting with Gary Peterson, who pretty much hooked me up that night. I knew, like, he was going to be my parachute when I finally did say, yeah. like. Gary's a great guy. Yeah, so Gary, I said, Gary, come get me. He oh, will, too. Yeah, and he did. So yeah. I went and stayed at his house that night. And we didn't get off the phone until I had a bed in Hazelden. Because I knew, I'm like, don't let me out of this place because I'll change my mind. I'll talk myself out. I just knew I had to do something, right? Because yeah. I couldn't do it on my own. I didn't want to play the game of, I just had to separate myself from, you know, my own situation. Social pressures it, are typically the hardest. Yeah. 
and it's not even that like when when your wife was talking about the bad crowd i was probably that guy she was yeah. talking about you know there was always a reason to, for me to do something you know whether it's going to help somebody do some work at their house you know it always ended up in that you know and it just ended I've no. said for a long time, everything around this area revolves around drinking in some aspect, whether it it's does. a fundraiser it's, or a whatever it may be. You know, everything around here revolves around drinking. And that honestly was the hardest part about quitting or putting myself into that category of how much stuff you're going to miss out on. Like that mm-hmm. prolonged my effort. But you to, didn't. You didn't miss anything. No. Did and the thing is, it's even better now. And like what all this. The stories they tell you when you start listening to AA and Gary and, you know, how much better thing. They're not wrong. I mean, and all the stuff. And, like, I wasn't a good student in high school, right. and I wasn't really a good student when I went to Hazelden either. You know, I, once I found the key points of, wait a minute, stuff's pretty easy. It's kind of the golden rule. Yeah. You know, you, you start learning the steps and all that. And uh, all that stuff is things everybody knows deep down inside, you know. And however you decide to funnel it, whether it's going to meetings every, you know, a couple of days or reading the whatever. I mean, if, if there's a if there's something you're looking for in the recovery community, you can find it. Right. Whether whatever level of recovery you're looking for, whether it's reaching out to guys like me that aren't necessarily into the full recovery community. But the hard part that I, you know there's not a lot of us out there that are kind of you know it comes back to what you were saying earlier about with the natural disaster in your town mm-hmm. you'd be when you need the help you'd be surprised how many people are exactly. willing to step up and, the, and i don't it's hard to say like guys like me or like i don't necessarily fit into the mold of anything really right because mm-hmm. i kind of run my own path on how i'm going to do things I, yeah. I, there's no for me to sit down and say hey this is how you do it. Right. Would be pretty phony of me. Right? Everybody's got their own story in their so own way. So my deal is, like, I just want to know, I just want people to know that you're not, there's guys out there that are going a different path than AA and, and like, like I can go to a bar and hang out with, like, I was just on a fishing trip, you know, mm-hmm. guys, are, none of that. But there's some people that can't do that, right? Sure. And I get that. Oh, so, dude, my, my uh, dad, 46 years of sobriety, uh, February 3rd, He's the first one that bought me a drink when I came home from Iraq. You know, a guy, you know, met, met, yeah, met me at, at the bar and he said, you know, I'm going to be the one that buys my son his first drink. Right. And, more. Uh, and, and there is, I think to your point, it, um, you know, I, I use the analogy with, with vets when it comes to mental health quite a bit. But being, a, you know, a kid of somebody in recovery my entire life, um, you know, I'd say there's a good, um, you know, connection uh, to the two is. It's not a straight road. It's not a train track. No. Recovery, mental health, uh, you know, for uh, both of those things, it's a, it's a damn roller coaster. Your peaks and, and valleys, so, and you go all over the place. It's so close related yeah. that we're, like, on, like, I learned things about myself that I never would have otherwise learned, mm-hmm. you know, by not going through that treatment program for 28 days and feeling like the biggest loser. And, right. like, I, it was... Yeah, it was, it was rough. Yeah, humbling, humbling right? Yeah. So you're there, and you're out of your element, and you're like, I'm just I'm going to do, I'm, I'm here, right? And just listen to the other people's stories and situations and perspective, yeah. Putting your life into perspective, like, why am I messing this up, yeah. you know? And then you kind of realize yeah. you have total control over yeah. a lot more things and, and in your it, life than you, you know, thought. There was no 
aha moment where, you know, like the religious part of it, I just couldn't get over guys getting so hung up about God. And I'm, you know, I'm very, I'm not a religious person. I went through the, you know, confirmation and did all that. So I believe in the, it's hard to say, right? So I don't let that, my point of that was, it's not about God or, you know, the higher power thing and all that. It's just, it's, it can be within you. It can be, you know, whatever. And to let those little things hang you up to, to block the, the mental side of, you know, all the value. Yeah. Get, out of it, yes. Well, get, you know, just get, get your stuff together, regardless of where it's coming from. Right. You know, so the tough love part of it a little bit, right. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, just, well, how, how does that work then now, um, you know, for you looking at sobriety uh, on the, the fatherhood side of it? Because my old man, again, February 30, had 46 years of sobriety, but it was also the 56th year since he was wounded. Um, and I you know, text him on that day and said, hey, happy Alive Day, uh, Pop. Uh, and the response was, uh, you know, f- 56 years ago, the Lord saved my life. And uh, since then, I've given at least 46 good years back to him. Um, right. You know, and, and you know, not just, you know, it's not just talking about the faith side of it. Uh, imagine if I get him to back on here again to elaborate the fatherhood, the community, the, the business side of it, too. So what's, I mean, that's got to have to have an impact, the sobriety piece of you for, you know, uh, father and husband. And, well, yeah, number one husband. Right. I mean, I. Sarah's my high school sweetheart. We'd met in 10th grade. You know, we've always had each other's back through the years. <clears throat> and just being baby, basically selfish, you know, like taking advantage of her because, you know, we were, we were a success and she was mm-hmm. able to stay at home, you know. But basically she became the stay-at-home babysitter and I just work, you know. I'm yeah. putting quotes up here. Work. Gotta go, baby. Yeah, yeah, I gotta go do this. And, you know, just... And not necessarily, you know, the lie. The lies are one thing, but then the, the, the manipulation of the truth, right? Yeah. That's, you know, I'd always it's, say I'm going to the shop, and then I drive through the shop. So I, in my own stupid head, I could say, oh, I went to the shop, you yeah. know. But <laughs> just, just dumb stuff like that. You, you weren't know, being the, the best version of yourself. No, kind of I wasn't. Right? And it, it, like I said, it got a hold of me. And then the, We're wasting our, and you know, then the kids, you know, a couple of them, you know, Boone, young enough that he won't even at Oscar might remember a touch of things and this it was just the not being around Sophie's gonna remember you know she's a yeah. teenager now and you know she she would she brought up a couple things when she was a young girl and you know kind of hit you in the heart and you're like god what am I doing yeah. you know and those things that you know it slow you down a little bit but it never really shut it off you know so and at some point Sarah was gonna have enough of my stuff and that be was done with it yeah. you know whether you we all think we're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, especially when you're manipulated like that. You know, it does. It, I can't explain it unless you're in it. It's not about like the need to drink. It's the want to be in that situation. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's weird. It, it, it's not like, it's like your mind and your, your actions are tricking you into that. Oh, you can do this and then you'll do that. And then you make up these excuses of, right. you know, of not being productive, to be honest. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I did this so I can go do this type. Justify. Always, yeah. always, do, you know, and I just found myself doing that way too much. And then, okay. And now you talked about the impact. Well, since I quit drinking, obviously family life is better, you know, just being more involved and more aware mm-hmm. and the health 
of Nielsen blacktopping concrete is seeing immense changes just because of my focus. Yeah. And not just me, like once, you know, if people around you see you coast and they're going to coast too, right? right? Whether you come in and be the hard ass for a little while or you stick with them for a few days to get a big project done and then off I go again. Everybody so, said, what the hell went up on, went on up there at Hazleton? This guy come yeah. back, he's all fired up. Right? Yeah. So it, it was just, it was a, call it a haze, right? Mm. Maybe a little successful haze of, like, take, you know, I didn't really do the whole college partying and go out and, you know, maybe it was a midlife crisis type thing where I was, and then to focus now, it is some, I'm glad but culture's culture's contagious. Yeah, you know, but good not or only bad. that, but and it is right. So my brother, it's since quit drinking. Jeremy, the one of the foremen, you know, he did mm-hmm. that on his own. We didn't even really talk about it, right? It was just, and I'm sure I had a, a little part into it, just because he saw, hey, Trent can do it, whatever. It's not something. It's not something that we talked. Right? It goes back to what you said about watch. You know, when you go on a crew, yep. and you're going to learn how to do it. Yep. you're going to learn what your trade is. Well, that, that, that's mannerisms and culture and all of it, right? Yep, sure. So, and that's where I was getting at with, it changed my focus, right? I wasn't worried about what I was going to go do for happy hour. I would find the next thing, find the next thing. I think that's the true leadership, though, is, is you really don't have to say anything to anybody, right? You just start doing the right things right. and you and leave from the front. Exactly. And yeah. People start seeing what's going on and they want to be a part of that. And the hard part about doing a show like this, or it, for me, was that, I wanted to hear my story. I didn't necessarily want to go in and tell my story, you know, once a week at an AA meeting either, mm-hmm. right? Because I'd, right. I'd started doing some of that stuff, which I never left an AA meeting feeling like I wasted my time, right? And I didn't go to a lot. So it's, I mean, I'm not crowning myself as an AA guy. It just wasn't a spot for me that I could click with, right? It was, and they're good guys, and I, I'd try to check up on them, you know, and see it was just a small group in St. Peter, and like it just, it just honestly, just wasn't for me, you know. Right. And every once in a while, I find myself thinking, ah, I should go back, and just didn't hurt, right? Type thing, but mm-hmm. but it's that. So the culture that they bring is like doing good things for other people. It's, it's more for yourself than than it is for them. Right, like you get yeah. that sense of giving back, and like I started finding that that I've had that all along. I just didn't focus on it, right? So you go back to the you know the reflection of right. I'm in a spot that I put myself. I'm referring back to Hazelden of you know just all the little lessons and all the little tricks and things you know poems that you read. This all the stuff, right? Everything they're doing to kind of basically just ground yourself, right? And I find myself doing that way more often than I ever thought I would have. You know, taking a breath, you know, being grateful for what you have accomplished and what you're doing and, and, you know, humble yourself and all those things. It all comes, you know, basically from that background. And it's, you get that background from church. You can get that background from good coaches. You can get background from good parents. All of it, right? So when, when I put all this stuff together that I've done over my years, you know, and as a guy that's been through the ringer of, putting myself in a spot to be out of my element, to be able to use those tools that I was able to get from them. It's helped me immensely. I'm hoping it's going to help other people too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so I put things into perspective, you know, like you say a lot, Yeah. you know, and yeah, I was like, 
should have been, I am embarrassed that I had to do what I did because there's people, you know, like I have the world by the balls. Yeah, but here's honestly, a, and, here's and a, I'm up here doing, <laughs> you know, and like just wanting to walk out of there. And honestly, but then making myself stay, like, oh, you shithead. Right. You need to be here just like this other dude, right? right. You're no better than him, you know? You're in a rough spot. Take the help, right? So it's almost like your internal self is fighting with, you know, I'm the, I can't on this. I can't let people know I did this. That's, and it, it wasn't long where ego. I cut that off. Yeah. The ego thing ego. was the easiest thing for me to shed. And I think, you know, when we talk, I got a great guy in my office, Joe Frana, and we talk about that a lot, you know, us, us uh, construction guys and especially in charge construction guys tend to have a big ego. And a lot of that gets us to where we are, right? And but the other thing is, to, I think one of my best tools is like checking that. You know, sure. like I don't need to be the king of the room when we're in a meeting. You know, I just kind of sit there and let, and just, and other one, it's just it's not a good tool, the ego. You and, know? <laughs> and really, at the end of the day, if you think about it, if you know, if you wouldn't have, you know, gone down the path that you went, and then went to Hazleton and made that turnaround. And, you, and let's just say if that never happened and you just kind of coasted, you probably would have grew your company to a certain point and you probably would have stayed there and things just would have kind of went along. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, Either way. Yeah. You never know. But, but really, though, what it really did is sound like it really ignited your fire again yeah, to take did. what you've already had a foundation built for. And you could just say, all right, well, now I'm going to take this thing to where I want to go because you have that clarity. It gave me a reset, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I just, In I, a way, I guess that's what I was getting at. Was you know, it did. Yeah. And. Like who? I would have played the charade for a while, right? Eventually, yeah. I would have. Well, what's the what's the point? I mean, you build all that too, and circling of the family and the wife. I mean, yeah, that's you, not, you end up you end up on your deathbed a multimillionaire in a room full of strangers because nobody knows you. Yeah, <laughs> you, you yeah. Know, not, your family it, doesn't know you. You're not yeah. there for your kid, you know. And if it's not, you know, doing these things for the right reason, you know, not just doing them to grow wealth, right? For sure. That's, yeah. It goes back to we. How I started everything is, you know, do the right thing, work hard, do a good product, and the other stuff will come, right? right. And I never got focused on the money. Like, people, like, nah, it doesn't motivate me to, the, to where, oh, I want to do the, you know, it's different how it motivates me. I, like, that's the carrot at the end of it all. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this. Sure. Right. What's, the, what's the future? What do you want? I mean, like, not only just maybe in business, but also personally, you know, what is the, you know, what are you chasing? You have like a adventure you want to go no, do hunt or no? Not, well, not not much of the hunting type. Yeah. We just went yeah. on a ice fishing trip and had a guide. What was it? The Meister Meister guide up in uh, Burger Meister Meister. No, it was Meister <laughs> guided trips or something up sure. in, in uh, Ottertail County. He's a former Marine, actually. Yeah, yeah. awesome. It's not why we booked him, but you know, coincidence. Yeah. But, Start going uh, more trips and stuff like that, or what do you yeah. what, what's uh, what do you like to do? Or what no, do you we wanna... travel. We've been traveling quite a bit as a fam. Sure, just the five of us being able to do. Like, we sure. were get around the country a little bit more. Obviously, yeah. Do those little boy trip, you know, yeah, not guy stuff, trips, yeah. but the boy trips like we just did. Make I don't know, just be yeah. obviously be around and and and. And to be able to do those things, you know, be grateful of what you have, and yeah. You know, being involved in the community is a big thing. Yeah. You uh, seem like you're a part of everything now. Uh, not everything. Just I'm, about. And the wrestling gym at St. Peter, I saw 
Nielsen or the regular gym when we had our tournament out there, the the signs out there. So you must have some support still in the community. Oh yeah, we try to do like if we work at a school, definitely like we we should be around on most schools that we work on. We try to do whatever premier sponsorship they have, you know, just to kind of obviously we're working for them and being a part of the athletic department i guess i was for 10 years at st peter high school i know they can use all the money they can get so a lot yeah because you, you coach wrestling for a while yeah too. for basically again i just knew i needed a hobby in the winter because <laughs> you know so i called my old high school coach and said hey i'm bored what do you got you any punks yeah, yeah he did yeah. yeah zabel was his name monster guy would kill me whenever he wanted to luckily he didn't but i wrestled him I think he was in like 10th or 11th grade when I started. He ended up placing third or fourth at state. Oh, that's fun. He was nice. a tough kid. Yeah, I could help him succeed. So too. it was fun. And then I just stuck around there for, I don't know, it was about another 10 years. Sure. And my kids haven't really gotten into the wrestling bug. Yeah. I don't know if I'm glad about that yet or not. I haven't decided. <laughs> youth, youth wrestling has never been my favorite. Do you think, do you think work is a little bit of your hobby? You enjoy doing oh, it that is. stuff? And so that's because that's there's all, you know, so I'm a part of the St. Peter Ambassadors, which is business guys. And it is a part of my hobby because there's so much of, of the things that I can do as far as help other projects go. Yep. And, put you know, so it, it gets a little boring, but the center of topic when I get to a place is usually what I'm working on or what we're doing right. or they see us there. It's a good icebreaker, obviously, because, sure. you know, I don't have a lot of other hobbies. So I try not to, I go out of my way to not start, you know, go into a rant of, oh, yeah, and then we're this and that, and, you know, just, yeah, this is what we're doing. Well, you seem like you have, like, a, another hobby that kind of draws themes all around, you know, I mean, supporting, building the business, bringing your family in, bringing the brothers in there. Sounds like you're pretty damn loyal to the people that, that stuck it out with you right. i mean the, the rest yeah and they're and then they, there's a two-way street they're loyal to yeah me and chad and chad we're i mean most of the people that we have working for have, have left and come back at least once you know yeah because it's all it's like tiny group that's yeah. how you that's how you build a culture to be able to get things done well and even like with the, the we glossed over it you know we had a lot of lot to yeah, talk there's about a lot but, here. but the the, even the coaching for wrestling, helping out with the youth, when none of your kids were involved in it. Uh, St. Peter with uh, the 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 uh, tornado and helping out where you could. And obviously, a lot of it was 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 business wise. Uh, but dude, you served with talking about doing the wiring harness. You know, giving them credit for being one of the sharpest guys. You know, uh, but you know, working to get something done. All that that work and that volunteerism, man. Um, seems like you got to whether you like it or not, a theme of some sort of service uh, yeah, right, outside sure. yourself no, I get that. Uh, towards it too. And I, that was, you know, a, a point you, you brought up uh, the name Gary Peterson uh, on here, another business owner from the area, another long time in recovery that, that reached, you know, you reached out to, you knew, uh, I mean, obviously we're not asking any, any names, but um, a willingness to, or is, you know, anybody, uh, reached out to you for their recovery process before again no, you don't have to share names or no i wouldn't do that but yeah there's like around the time i did it there's a few guys that you know just checked in that you knew why they were checking in type mm-hmm. thing, you know and, and maybe just even close buddies that just use me as a gauge right and i was like yeah we're all we're all heading that way a little bit you know so i think the crew i was running around with and you know people around me saw it and obviously you think you're hiding it but you're not you know you're just not 
it's just a kind of a check for mm-hmm. everybody. And then me now being like, I've went through this, I've done it by no means out of, you know, there's no crown to wear. There's no start. There's no, no finish you know, line. there's no finish line in this whole journey. I mean, the, the wheels could come off tomorrow. Right. And you're right back to where you started, but I think just reaching out and, and, in whatever position you are in life of finding those role models for yourself. Right. And whether, whether it is yourself, sometimes, you know, don't let yourself down or this is what you've done. Don't, don't, don't mess this up. And, you know, finding those, you know, as my dad passed away and my uncle passed away and, you know, you're in the construction and, you know, there's no more real benchmarks for me to look at. You know, there's plenty of people around. Right. You start to find that you're the guy, you know, like, it's hard to, so you, you got to find your own people to look up to. And the right. next, you know, the next step of, you know, and it's, there's millions of examples of that around us. We just got to focus on the right, right ones, you know, as yeah. a group, as a, call it what you will, a group of leaders, a group of guys that are getting stuff done. Yeah. You know, we got to feed off of each other and not let each other down. And that's how good things happen. That's how service happens. Right. The, the, yeah, you summed it up perfectly there, I would say. Um, before we wrap it up, uh, we always like to end with a couple uh, couple poignant questions. Uh, number one, if you could go back in time and uh, tell young Trent anything at all, what advice would you give yourself? I would just you know follow your gut. You know, yeah. the gut feeling has got me a long ways. You know, it's the gray area. I always everyone's always like, yeah, I kind of operate in the gray area, right? And it's more of a gut feeling sometimes than a. And obviously that came with hard work and sure. making the wrong decision a few times, but you know, <laughs> there was, there was time, you know, like, yeah. you know, either selling yourself short or you're making your goals a little less than they could be, you know, just go, just sure. Try go, it. put your head down yeah. and go. Uh, we've got a little heavy towards the end here, but to wrap it up and end it on a uh, completely lighter note, favorite barbecue food. Well, honestly, I got to say barbecue chicken. Cause that's oh. what we do for the, the first chicken man you are yeah, you are the the like dark meat obviously. so we do the st peter ambassadors cook fourth of july chicken mm-hmm. and that's kind of my little committee that i'm in charge of so that's i'm obligated to say that and i would say that <laughs> for the most part anyways i can't you know good barbecue chicken just want really the, the chicken lobby to come it. after them man right right uh, well you know and, and for those who don't know and everybody says ribs Anyway, everybody says risk. Oh, brisket. Sure. Well, we yeah, had a lot of brisket. Yeah, but that was special forces. Those guys are different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but chicken, it's hard to beat if it's done right. It's true. It is done right. We a cook. lot of people That's don't know that uh, we're recording this actually on Super Bowl Sunday before the game. True. And I've got wings at home that need to go on a smoker, so we're going to wrap this right, up. Fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, Trent Nielsen, thanks so much for uh, not only your service and uh, your commitment to the community, but uh, for coming on today and uh, sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Trent. Thanks for yeah, having appreciate me. it. This is the Strength From Service Podcast.